to a very special bonus episode of the Bolt from the Blue podcast in which my guest is none other than Ray from Man City Fan TV. In this pod, we are going to talk about transfer rumours as well as a few other items. And so I began by asking Ray about the young guns from Ajax, De Ligt and De Jong. Frankie De Jong, Matthew De Ligt. So these guys, then certainly not fully formed. And if teams of the calibre of City and Barca are definitely interested in the pair of them. They must have something really good about them for City and Barca to be basically, it seems, behind the scenes, fighting over them. And it could end up in a, with a very expensive bidding war for these two players, unless City and Barca come to some sort of agreement and say, look, it might end up that City and Barca, you know, it depends how um, uh, bullish City want to be and how much, I mean, they can slap Barca around a little bit on the money side of things, but they could just turn around and say, look, Instead of going daft and getting up to 80, 90, 100 million, okay, for each of these guys, when in reality, I think if you're buying the pair of them, what you should be paying is around the 100 million uh, pounds mark. I think if they bought them in the, uh, this summer just gone, it would cost less than that. I think you could have got them for 70 or 80 for the pair. But their value is just going up. The longer they stay with Ajax, the more City feel they need either that defensive midfielder or an, an extra young centre-back. I mean, Vinny's, what, 32? So... The longer this goes on, the more valuable they become, the more it feels like they're going to become more expensive. Talking to some people in Holland uh, in the last day or two, I mean, they're talking, you know, they want a bidding war. They want um, an auction between City and Barca because that's all they're going to ramp the price up. And it might be that City and Barca behind the scenes say, look, you take one, we'll take the other. If we can agree on that, why should we end up paying 80 million uh, euros or more for kids that are worth 50 or 60. I think City are hurt that we didn't get Jorginho. I think we were hurt. I think we are quite happy we didn't get Alexis. But there's also the issue that City want the player for the right reasons. Now, Alexis was going to go to whoever was offering him the money. And City, quite early on, in the towards the January transfer window, I mean, we yes, we wanted him. We were happy to pay for him a certain amount. But when he starts asking for more, I think City say, hang on, we don't want that. We want people to come for the right reasons. And he was not coming for the right reason. Jorginho, it's a similar sort of thing. We could have put more money on the table earlier to try and get him over the line. But I don't think Napoli would have sold. I think Napoli were waiting. There was a delay. There didn't seem a good enough reason for that delay. And I think the delay was Napoli were just waiting. They knew Sari was going to Chelsea. They knew Sari wanted Jorginho. And they knew Sari and Chelsea would pay for Jorginho. And they'd pay more than City would. It was just a, a matter of them holding out, waiting for him to go and getting an extra whatever it was, 10 million. And I think they hoped at that stage there'd be an option. I think there was a chance of us getting him. I think the biggest thing was it depended what happened with Chelsea and Sarri. You saw at the end, given the choice, Jorginho went with Chelsea. Now, City could have blown Chelsea out of the water if we wanted to. We could have offered as much money as we wanted. But at the end of the day, it's up to the player. Napoli could have pushed him one way or the other. But at the end of the day, it would have been up to the player to decide. And I think in his heart, he wanted to stay with Sarri. Yeah, that was disappointing. And of course, also, were we also 
perhaps knocked back on Virgil van Dijk as well in similar circumstances. To quote a certain Liverpool centre-back after, I think it was a semi-final or quarter-final last season when in the Champions League when they got all these decisions from the ref and questioned on camera, he said, who cares? It doesn't matter. Who cares? And to be honest, right now, I don't care about Virgil van Dijk. I think he was sold on Liverpool. But I think just about everybody, there is a point where they flip from having a, a love or an allegiance or a likening or whatever or a support for a certain club to you offer them enough money, that allegiance will just quickly disappear. So for argument's sake, if we went to Southampton and we offered them 75 million quid like Liverpool did uh, and we said to Virgil van Dijk, look Virgil, we'll pay you £350,000 a week. I don't know what Liverpool are paying. Let's say Liverpool are paying two twenty or whatever. He'd have thought about it. If we said Virgil will pay you £500,000 a week, I'm pretty sure he'd have been a City player. The love of the money takes over at some point. You just don't know where that line is. You know, look at uh, Raheem, for instance. Now, he's pushing for an extra whatever it is. Honestly, for him to leave at the end of the year, someone's going to have to come in and pay, in a lot, pay him a lot of money for him to leave. I said in the summer, when he had two years to go, on, on video, so people can go back and uh, watch it if they want, I said on tape that I really doubt he'll leave next summer because he'll have one year left on his contract. And if you say, and I think it's reasonable to say, that Raheem Sterling is worth £100 million, does that sound reasonable? Between 70 and 100, whichever figure you want, whether you, if you don't like him, he's worth 70. If you love him, he's worth 100. When it comes to it, a club buying him, I can see him just saying, come next summer, I won't leave. City can't force him to leave. He says, I won't leave, because he knows if he hangs on for one year, he's going on a free. So the club, let's say, for argument's sake, Bayern Munich take him. I'm not going to say Real Madrid. Let's say Bayern Munich want to take him. They know they're getting a player worth £100 million. If he turns around and says, I want a £50 million signing on bonus, they'll think that's cheap because this guy's worth £100 million. And in, in their books, they're getting him for £50 million. So his, his option is, does he maybe pl- uh, not play any games for one year? He's only 23 now, so he'll be 24 next summer. Does he sacrifice six months or nine months of his career to be potentially sidelined by City for £50 million? Now, if I ask you that, in your current job, if I was to say to you, it's important for your career, you know, your career is only you know, 12 to 15 years, to lose one year, pay you an extra £200,000 for you to miss one year. You'd seriously consider that. Now, maybe you're on more than that already, Mike. <laughs> but but I think... I wouldn't get out of bed for anything less, Ray. <laughs> but if, if, they, <laughs> if they offer Raheem Sterling £50 million as a signing on bonus, and remember, the buying club are still saying, we got a bargain. Because actually, if we bought him with two years to go on his contract, it'd have cost us £100 million. If you can get that into your head, and I think fans can't get that into their heads, when you talk about money like this and the and the, the value of it and the potential of it, the buying club are saving themselves £50 million. People say, well, why would they pay £50 million? That's ridiculous. They'll pay it because they're saving £50 million. And that's going in Raheem and his agent's pocket. Now, I have no doubt Raheem's agent will say, hey, mate, just hang on. You're going to get a big chunk of this £50 million. And wherever you go, because they're saving £50 million, They'll pay you the money you want. So they'll pay you 300 grand a week. No problem. They'll probably pay you 400 grand a week because the way they're looking at it, this is the way I look at it from a finance uh, point of view. If you had to pay Raheem Sterling 250 grand a week to stay at City or whatever, or a, a buying club that got him now had to pay. How much do you reckon he's on at the moment then? He's on about 170, 180. I'm just saying, a buying club, they could afford to pay him an extra seven and a half million pounds a year because they know over the length of a five-year contract, 
that's cost them 35 million extra. But it's still cheaper, that 35 plus the 50 signing on bonus, than the 100 million they'd have to pay to get the guy. So they're looking at it and saying, it's still a bargain for us. We're still getting a massive discount. I know sometimes it's hard for, for fans to get the head around this these concepts of numbers that are opportunity costs or if, even if they're paying Raheem the earth. That's why I think come next summer, unless a buying club is going to offer him a massive amount for a signing on bonus and a big salary, he can just look at it and say, why should I leave? He, you know, in the back of his mind, he's got that safety net. If I hang on for a year, even if City don't play me, you know, Arsenal carried on playing Alexis Sanchez. So he might think maybe they will carry on playing me. Uh, but if, even if they don't play me, I'm going to get so much money at the end of this. It's worth it. And we know money talks. And as I said, there's a line. And I'm sorry, for most players, if you say, don't play for a year, we'll give, you'll get 50 million quid. I think it's a no-brainer. They're prepared to take the time out. So it's, it's very, very difficult. I think City have to try and make a compromise. I mean, he holds all the aces now because he's only got two years left on his contract. And now, three months into the season or whatever, he's got even less. So it's a very, very difficult situation for City. I don't know how they, you know, they're dealing with it. And they're obviously remaining calm on the outside. But they, they are, they've got to be worried on the inside that this could happen. And if they're not thinking that this could happen, then uh, they need some outside uh, help. I reckon Chairman Khaldun al-Mubarak probably knows what he's doing, though, doesn't he? I love him. Absolutely love him. He's, he's got to be one, if not the, one of the best, or if not the best chairman anybody could wish for. He's a pretty good footballer as well, isn't he? I forget the photographs. I've seen the videos of him. I think he's uh, him scoring a hat-trick. I said at the time, maybe some of the opposition, given his status, went easy on him. But he's, he's still got a bit about him. And he's fit. He's very well-educated. He's very well-spoken. I'm, 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 to be honest, I'm jealous. What else could you ask for? He's very highly educated. He's good-looking. He's very well-spoken. Um, he's got a good head for business. I mean, basically everything, where not? You speak for yourself, Bray, my son. You speak for yourself. <laughs> so <laughs> he's, got, he's holding uh, all the years. He's got a full house there. Another name that's been mentioned, Ray, is Tongi Ndombele, if I've got that right. Because Fernandinho's not getting any younger, is he? None of us are, but neither is he. What do you think there, then? His price is going up, so he, his stock is rising and rising all the time. Fernandinho is absolutely magnificent when he's on form, though, isn't he? Sometimes you feel, and fans are saying this, he's not doing it every game. And it may be that he does need a break now and again. Everybody does. And, and I think we do need somebody. Tongi Ndombele. Uh, I keep saying his name because I'm sure I'm, I'm getting it right. To be, to be quite honest, I lived in France for nearly 10 years. I didn't watch much French football because the Premier League is all-consuming. I did a, a lot of interviews with Lyon fans based in the UK before uh, our uh, defeat um, uh, against Lyon in the Champions League opener this season. And they said, when I asked some of them, they said, well, we don't watch much French football whilst we're in England because it's the Premier League. And the Premier League is such a big brand and it's pushed down your throats in England. Do those fans rate Ndombele? They love him. Everybody I talk to loves him. I don't know about him personally and, and I've not seen enough of him. All I can go on is what people in Lyon and Lyon fans are telling me. And I did an interview. I actually got... Um, a Leon fan 
He's a business sports student now. I think he's 20 years old. But he's also done some work as a journalist for several years. He's been involved with Leon for several years. He gets involved with the, the players, especially the younger ones, and their entourages. So, you know, I won't call them the hangers-on, but they're, they're people. So the player and their people. And uh, he knows some of them very, very well. Now, his name is Eddie Asin. He did a video for us purely about Tongi and Dumbele, talking about his qualities and going through his history. And his stock is rising incredibly fast. Two years ago, he was playing uh, in, I think, for Amiens in uh, north of France, a very industrial town, very poor, I think a poor area now. Um, once you lose your industry and your call and whatever, you, you, you do suffer. Um, and then he went to Lyon on uh, uh, on loan. Lyon had the option to buy him for nine million euros, and there was talk that City had offered fifty million euros for him in the summer, and that was uh, turned turned down. Now Lyon, I think they felt it's a bit too soon to sell him. He's still he was twenty one years old, and they also felt that give him, give him another season, his price and his stock will go even higher, and it will also help Lyon in, uh, I think, their futile uh, attempts to try and win the league in France. I mean, you, you saw they got battered 5-0 by PSG the other week. Lyon fans trying to disguise it and say, well, Fekir wasn't playing, and I don't think he'd have made that much difference. Uh, get battered 5-0 is, is, is pretty poor. Lyon wanted to keep him, and Eddie told us that he'll definitely... If people want him, the starting price is going to be 70 to 75 million euros. And to be quite honest, the way this bizarre, crazy transfer market is these days, that could go to 80, 90, even 100 million euros. I can see Leon holding out for two or three clubs from, from England wanting him. I and mean, there's reports that Spurs want to pay, want to get him in January for about 50 million quid or 40 million quid, which I absolutely laughed at. And if City are having 50 million turned down in the summer, how is Spurs going to get through with 40 or 50 million in January? He's going to go for 70, 80 million euros. I can't see anything less than that. From everything I hear, Andombele is your man. He's pretty certain that he's going to be one of the top five or six midfielders in Europe in the next year or two. He's put his neck on the line. I'm hoping, and this is an exclusive for you, I'm hoping, fingers crossed, to meet some of the Leon players when we go out there. Uh, for the Champions League. I'm not sure what they can say. To me, as an independent, uh, I wouldn't even say a journalist, as an independent YouTube presenter, uh, because clubs are very careful what they let players say. But I'm hoping to get some interaction with Lyon, some other projects that I've got on the uh, on the go uh, in Lyon. So, fingers crossed, I'll, I'll get something from the horse's mouth. What do you think about Nabil Fekir at Lyon? We know that Liverpool were interested in him. If Fekir puts another good season in, he, he's got to be up for grabs next summer. I mean, Leon might be in a pretty poor shape come next summer because they could end up losing it under Bully, Fakir. There's another couple of players that might go, and they've got a, a good fullback called Mendy. Somebody else, Mendy. Apologies, Mr. Mendy. But he looks uh, pretty decent as well. But they could end up losing three or four very good players. Yes, they're going to end up pocketing the best part of 200 million euros for them to lose these three or four players. And that will probably help them for, for many, many years. Fakir, I mean, Personally, okay, I haven't seen a lot of him. I've seen a little bit, of, I've probably seen more of him for France. So, I mean, I saw him at the World Cup. To me, he looked bang average. So, you know, <laughs> I'm not saying I'm a great judge of a player, but I just don't see what others see. I don't see a 60 or 70 million pounds or a 60, 70 million euro player in him. Some people look fantastic on YouTube, don't they? Exactly, exactly. And, and I think that's it. I, I still tell people, don't look at the YouTube videos for Joe. If you remember Joe... On YouTube, he looked great. 
And when he played, he was bobbins. He was rubbish. I think we signed Glauber Bertie around that time as well, didn't we? <laughs> oh, he disappeared as well. We we signed some odd ones there. Sven Goran Eriksson was reportedly a YouTube fan, wasn't he? I, I wouldn't put anything past Sven. I mean, um, you know, the rumours were Sven was too busy in the evenings with other activities. Just about every guy loves Sven because Sven comes across as this quiet. He comes across as this really quiet, quiet serious chat. But he had a bit of a naughty side to him. He was very popular with the ladies, unexpectedly so. <laughs> I think lots of City fans of the male variety loved him for that as well, as well as the football. It's something odd about him, you know. To lose, I think we under Sven we lost was it eight eight one at Borough. So Sven had something about him, and we, we were signing some absolute dross in those days, some good stuff and some dross. Uh, but was, what the funny thing was, I look back and I still say good times. There were good times. There have been recent reports that Samir Nasri's available again after the whole Drip Doctors fiasco. I suppose everybody knows that I'd have this guy back in a heartbeat. What do you think? Well, when Pep came, Samir Nasri, for me, he was at the peak. You could say, I don't know if he'd gone off the boil a little bit. He was an absolutely, I'll use your word, beautiful player. I absolutely loved Samir Nasri. Loved him for the beautiful football he played. You know, those, he got on with players like uh, Silva and Aguero and, and, and Yaya Turi, these little... But what I loved was all these little passes. You know, I think he's got personal problems. It's one of those things where you do get too much too soon. He does have a huge ego. I'll give everybody that one. Nothing wrong with having a giant ego. Nothing wrong with that. And I think he played up to it, you know. I think he had personal, he had problems in his private life with his uh, girlfriend. I felt that caused him real angst and anxiety and a problem. The pro- the issue as well was he's got, sadly, I feel, so much money, like a lot of players, where he could take it or leave it. He could take or leave football. He didn't need football anymore. So that hurt him. I think a few things happened in his in his life, maybe with the French national team, because, you know, he's Algerian by descent. My Algerian friends say he should be playing for us. But, you know, when he was at his peak not to get picked by France, that's got to hurt. Personal life problems, got to hurt. I said I, I thought he was a beautiful player. I loved his happiness his simple joy and ecstasy with scoring some of those goals where he it's like he couldn't even believe he'd scored and he didn't know what to do. His performance in the 2014 League Cup final was a thing of rare beauty. I mean, Toure's goal was spectacular, but Nazri's was out of this world, struck with the outside of the foot, curling into the goal. Oh, it was a cracker. They were both wonder goals. I mean, Yaya's was a total worldie, but so was Nazri's. Sometimes that gets forgotten. But for me, they were, they were just about of equal measure because the technique to do that... Pep's not going to have him back, though, is he? Mike, Mike there's more chance of uh, either Joe or Jojo Samaras coming out of retirement and playing for City. Ah, quel dommage, c'est la vie. Nasri at 31, and I'm really... What's the right word? I'm, I'm disappointed for him. It's a, what I want to say is a stronger word than that. He should be at the... Peak of his powers. He should be like David Silva at just about that sort of level. David Silva's what, 32 now and putting on in awesome performances. Can you imagine? Can you imagine having the option of Nazri and David Silva alternating games with uh, Kevin? I have wistful daydreams about that, mate, all the time. A lot of stuff going on in poor old Samir's head. 
and it's a shame. I don't know what his problem was. He was overweight. Look, you go back and look at some of his goals, some of his passes. Okay, you can argue he wasn't at the same level as David Silva, but I'd say he, he can't have been far off for all the skill he had. If Sami had put the work in and put the effort in, especially on the pitch, I don't know what it was like in training, but if he'd put the effort in a little bit more on the pitch, he'd still be at City. But maybe we wouldn't have Bernardo. The sad thing is that Pep wanted him to stay, but it was actually Nasri who chose to leave. That killed me. That killed me because... You felt that if he'd stayed, Pep wanted him. Lose the weight, get in shape. But as I said, I think he had problems in his head at the time. Issues in his private life. And they spilled over. And they've got to have affected his judgment. Because you see, in, let's say, the year that followed after leaving City, it was a mess. He made mistake after mistake after mistake. He's ended up with this ban. So, you know, it's yes, it's more than a shame. It's, I feel sad. Did you fully understand what went on with this drip doctor's business? I'll be honest with you, I'm not sure of the exact story, but they put him on an intravenous drip. It's not allowed by the anti-doping people, so I, I think that's, that's the way it works. And there's something wrong in his head, whether he shunned people or he became a lot more private or a lot more uh, what's the word, bullish. On the outside, he tried to be even more egotistical, even more displaying that massive ego that he certainly has, rather than uh, deal with his issues. I only had a, read the report today to say he's got one month before his ban's over. 18 months is a long time. It's, it seems very quick that it's over. I don't know if, if some of it was backdated or not. Even though he's one of our old players, and I do talk about old players, and I put a video out today talking about Samras and Stephen Allen just because Samras has retired. Because I'm still interested in our older players, players that used to play for City. They're still those guys, at least... I have a small place in my heart because, hey, they played for City. So you're like me, right? You like to reminisce about players of the past, huh? Uh, there's uh, so many players to think about and to, to discuss. And, and actually, I'm, I'm going to talk about players that have only been in my head for the last two or three days just because I've seen videos of them on YouTube or on Twitter. And I'm going to throw one out there, a player that I think he was only with us for a season or just a bit longer. Okay, so you're going to try to make me guess. I will go with Stefan Savage. Not Stefan Savage. He was with us for a bit longer than that. I was going to pick a guy who came to us. I think he was 32 or something like that. Around that, between 31 and 33. I can't remember the exact age. But he's our age now. So he came at the turn of the century, 2001. He stayed till 2003. He played 71 games for City. I think he scored about 11 goals. Not many. He went to play in the Middle East uh, in Qatar for a year. But you got to think, when he left City, it was 2003. Benarbia. Ali Benarbia. I actually have sp- uh, spoken to some uh, Algerian people about him. Cause we, because we've got Mares, a lot of Algerians are getting into Man City fan TV. Quick plug. And the Algerians just bombard me. And I've had to rain back from putting stuff up because I actually found myself spending so much time on Facebook replying to these. I had to translate the stuff because they didn't care that I was speaking in English. They put it all in Arabic, so I'm having to translate and respond to them. So I look back at the Algerians we had at City, and so I talked to Algerian journalists to see what happened to players that used to uh, play for City and the Algerians. I mean, Benabi had a great career. I think, if I remember correctly, he played for Monaco, Bordeaux, uh, Paris Saint-Germain, City, and then... He actually went to Qatar. He went to play for a team in Qatar called Al Rayyan. Do you remember much about one of my great heroes, Casimir's Dana? At the time, okay, I was watching a lot of football and you couldn't see much of City on the TV in those days. I loved him because 
it made me feel that we were exotic. We had this foreign player playing for City and it felt cool. There was nobody cooler than Kazi Dana. And if you want to get a look at him, younger fans, and you've got YouTube, you can see him there. And he also featured in the famous movie Escape to Victory with Sylvester Stallone and Pele. Well, Blues, I think we'll wrap up this little trip down memory lane right here. Let's wish Ray all the best with Man City Fan TV. Thank you so much for coming on the Bolt from the Blue podcast, Ray. It's been an absolute pleasure and an absolute privilege. You take care. I'll come out to Seoul to meet you. I promise. Take care, mate. Well, Blues, don't forget to tune in to the next episode of the Bolt from the Blue podcast when I'll be joined, of course, by Walter and Victoria, and we'll be reviewing the game against Burnley. So until then, have one on us and up the Blues. Oh, 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 o